Cherry and I met as co-workers a few years ago. Neither of us fully recall how we met for the first time, but we both agree that we naturally gravitated towards each other. We aren't friends who speak frequently, but when we do, I'm always so incredibly grateful. Conversations with Cherry make me feel seen and heard. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as we enjoyed recording it. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. You mm-hmm. and I are relatively like we've known each other peripherally for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've definitely I think I've known you as long as I've worked in the building we work in. So like five yeah. years. I think mm-hmm. it's probably been around there the same amount of time or maybe longer. Um, yeah, I've, I've been. Yeah, around that six. I want, oh, my God. Six years, maybe like five to six years. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you're very like extroverted or that's how I see you anyway. So yeah. you're like very, you know, bubbly, very approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we only really got to like know each other. I want to say maybe in the last year. Is that fair to say? Yeah. No, that's because how did we meet each other? I think we went with a mutual friend for lunch or it was a meeting or it was some kind of Skype thing for work. I know. And then somehow we just gravitated. And I think our bond solidified when I came up to you from downstairs and ranted about that dad. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I remember (laughs) that that day so vividly. And I felt so bad for you. Oh, my God. uh, I mean, nothing nothing brings (laughs) people closer than ranting and having a moment of stress. And, yeah, I just remember distinctly coming up. We were sitting outside. Yep. There was like those extra chairs and I was like, this dad drove me up the wall. Cause you also were helping with this case too. You were yeah. on the file for it. And I was just like, Oh, I can't handle it. Oh my it. gosh. It's such a foreign concept to even think about that because it's like, remember when we sat shoulder to shoulder and we don't live yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 100%. unimaginable right now to think of getting that close to someone other than like college. So can you tell me a bit about your background? So I know you're from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you were, yeah. So just tell me the backstory before, like how you came yeah. here. Yeah. So um, I moved to Canada with my family when I was six years old from Taiwan in 1997. That dates myself, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved my family. So my dad actually, my mom and dad came to Vancouver, specifically actually Richmond, where I'm staying right now. And she, and then they were like here for a month and like, whoa, this looks exactly the same, feels exactly the same as Asia. And my dad was like, we need to experience a Canadian lifestyle. Let's move further inward into the uh, mainland. Um, Not mainland. Yeah. Further inwards into the valley. And so that's where we landed Kelowna. I see. So after a month and a half of Richmond, not feeling the Canadian lifestyle, whatever that means, we moved to Kelowna, and then that's where I grew up. You know, I went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and university there. My parents are still residing there. They quite like it. They, now that I've been in Vancouver for eight years now, they find um, Vancouver to, to, to be too busy for them. And they like the kind of simple lifestyle that Kelowna has. And Kelowna has this nice mix of kind of small town feel with a metropolitan, like metropolitan feel to it, because it, it is expanding. Um, yeah, that's kind of my backstory. And then coming to UBC was when I graduated, I was like looking for jobs. My degree was actually in medical biochemistry, but I sucked at it. And I knew that like, oh, I was, I was the worst in my program. Like I, I struggled. I don't know why I got that degree. Anyways, a long story about why Wait, I, got that. I have a question. Is that an undergrad degree? I should, I should know this, but I don't. So, so medical biochemistry was, um, was a degree at UBCO, but then they eventually changed it to just biochemistry. Did you go to UBCO? Yeah, I went to UBCO. I did not know that you went to UBCO. I thought you went to the Vancouver campus. Okay, okay. No, no I went to UBCO because I couldn't afford, well, I didn't want to leave my mom. Me and my mom are very close. Um, so I went to UBCO, did medical biochemistry, thought I was going to be a doctor, didn't happen because like, it's too hard. And then I was looking for jobs and I couldn't find anything in Kelowna. And then I randomly applied 
to a position at Sauter and then got in and then the rest is history. And I've been here in Vancouver ever since. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I learned just so many things about you. <laughs> um, I, I think I assume everyone who works where we work mm-hmm. went there. It rarely occurs to me that someone would move from one campus to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, because for for me, like I went to the Point Grey campus, I only briefly toyed with the idea of getting a job at the other campus and then kind of let it go very quickly because of the weather. Yeah. Um, so, wow. Okay. So you have probably been in Vancouver around the, around the same amount of time that I have then. I mm-hmm. moved here in 2012. Yeah. Approximately like the same time. Yeah, totally. 12, 2012. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you did your degree. Was it because you wanted to do it or was it like a cultural parental pressure that led you there? Um, I think a bit of both, but I think mainly what happened was... um. A little backstory about BC uh, high schools. They're not well-funded, and so the counselors don't actually have proper time to help students navigate and counsel them on their post-secondary choices. And because I was good in sciences, um, part of my culture pressures you to be good in the sciences. My teacher's like, yeah, go into sciences. Yeah, be a doctor. Not really considering, like, what my actual interests are, and that's why I went to biochemistry. So it was your teachers more than like your parents or anything like that. Yeah. And my parents like, yeah, science sounds good. Do it. You know, like they didn't care which science. They're just like, oh, or they, it was like business engineering or science. They were happy. Yeah, the with typical. Two. Yeah. The trifecta. They're like, choose one of those three, whatever you want. Great. Cute. Move on. And so um, you were, how old were you when you started your undergrad? I was 18. Yeah, okay. 18. So straight out of high school. Straight out of high school, went to my undergrad. Uh, so funny, I'm talking about UBC Vancouver. UBC Vancouver was my first choice when I first applied to UBC. And I think I was under the stigma because UBCO was so relatively new back then. Um, I was like, oh, UBC Vancouver. And then because my mom and I are so close, I actually got accepted to the Vancouver campus. And when I got it, I actually cried. So which I program didn't want- did you apply to for UBCV? I you well, just bachelor, bachelor of Science, I Okay, think. so it was science either way. Okay, so then, yeah. sorry, your mom? And then I got my offer, and then I cried. And then it was not happy tears, it was sad tears, because I, I kind of was hoping that I wasn't good enough for Vancouver. And then, and then I, I got in, and then I was like, no! And then I remember crying, calling back <laughs> UBC, and saying, can you please evaluate me for my second choice? Uh, <laughs> I don't want my first choice. It's not the one that I wanted. And then, yeah, and then you validated for UBCO and then it was fine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so you're in your first year. Were you living at home or were you living in res? Oh, yeah, totally living at home. It was great. Still, okay. like, my mom did my laundry. Well, I mean, that also probably meant you got to eat delicious, like, mom cooked food, right? So, exactly. Wins all around. Um, okay, so you are 18, you're in this program, you're living at home. When did you realize that maybe that wasn't what you wanted, program-wise? Um, like, the year that we had to declare our major. So about second or third year? <laughs> the second year, when you had to dec- declare your, um, like, the bio- medical biochemistry major. And then I took a course in it, and I was like, that's not what I thought it was. Like, what the heck is this? Like, and. When you're doing medical, like biochemistry is, okay, this is like a really, I, I didn't do well. That's why I can't describe it properly. But it's more about the chain reaction, like the pathway, the metabolic pathways of like molecules and re- reactions. And I couldn't visualize any of this. I'm like, what? This is that? I can't, insulin did what? Like, I just got so confused and you had to memorize everything. And it just, I realized I was good in like, chemistry 12 and like science 10 but that's so different than university level science courses oh my gosh how did you feel do you remember what it felt like oh I remember and it was like it was the weirdest thing because there was no option for me to quit or switch majors like in my mind there wasn't like I didn't even think about it and going back um to this day that was still one of the hardest experiences I've ever gone through because doing something for like for that many for that long that you were not good at and you were not passionate in 
is actually quite hard. And it's, I think I became more resilient after that experience. But I was talking to my mom about it and she didn't know that I was going through so much. Like I hated my program. I was so bad at it. I felt so dumb. All my classmates were so smart and I just constantly were doing so bad in the courses. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? Why do you want to switch? And it was funny because it never occurred to me. All I knew is like, I wanted to finish this degree and get it over and done with. I'm doing it in four years. Like just let's just pull it through the finish line. So that's why I, um, I stuck through it. So as you were going through those motions of just like powering through, right? What did you Mm -hmm. have any thoughts of like what you would do after you graduated? So I did. So that's when, so when I realized I didn't like the major, I realized that, you know what, I need, like, I need to explore it. So I actually was a, a undergraduate research assistant um, for this uh, project for Alzheimer's disease. And it was with wine chemistry. They were trying to figure out the proteins in wine, if that could be a, um, like, inhibitor for a certain part of the um, Alzheimer's disease. And I did that. And it was, like, hella boring. It was so, I was like, nope, okay, no researcher for me. Because, like, for researchers, you spend, like, 10 years to finally, like, crack the code. I'm like, I don't have 10 years. Like, I want to know if I solved it now. Like, that's too long. So I didn't do that. And then I became, and I was like, okay, well, I can't do research or academia because I'm just too, like, I have no patience for it. So then I decided to work on campus as a student worker for student ambassadors, so which is campus tours. And then I was like, what? You can make, a, like, a living recruiting or helping students. And that's where I discovered the whole industry in post-sec where you can, you know, there's all these different jobs within the university, whether it's an advisor, administrator, or, you know, all these things. And that is what pulled me through because I knew after I graduated, I was not going to go into that field. I was going to go into the, like, post-secondary field. So did you discover recruitment and student ambassador work in your, like, fourth year, third year? Third year, in my third year, when I knew like I needed a way out or something that motivated me um, because my studies were like was not. I think that's incredible because it sounds like you would have been 2021 maybe at the time Mm -hmm. and you already had the awareness to be like, I don't like this. I can't like I'm only going to push through till I finish. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in our generation. I'm never sure which generation we fall into in terms of the X, Y, Z situation. Yeah. But I think a lot of people in our age group, in our like late 20s, early 30s, mm-hmm. um, we're children of boomers, right? Yeah. And the attitude from them is you pick one thing, you stay with it your whole life, you work really hard. And um, I think it's really unique when people are like, well, no, like I know I can't do it and I'm going to find yeah. another way. And Mm -hmm. you carve that path out for yourself, especially in 2021. That's an incredible amount of awareness, I think, to have had. I think it came out of necessity and just desperation that I needed a way out. Um, Yeah, I I think it was just I found something that was less painful and more enjoyable than my current situation. Um, Mm -hmm. If I were to do my degree again, I tell people this, it would be in philosophy. I was one course shy on getting a minor in philosophy. I couldn't stick it out for another semester. So I I just graduated. I was one course shy from getting a a minor in it. But philosophy, ethical philosophy is like, I love that stuff. That's so cool. Philosophy. um, So I did the IB when I was in high school. Mm. And we have theory of knowledge, which I honestly sucked at. Um, I think I just didn't have the maturity to do it. And it felt like such a waste of time because I was like type A, you know, I just want to do yeah. the things that are going to get me the grades to get me to the next thing, like da da da. And so this stupid course, I was like, what the heck is this? I don't have time to understand what I'm supposed to gain from it. I'm going to do the bare minimum just yeah. to finish this diploma. Um, but I think now, like about almost 10 years later, I'm like, oh, now I think I have the maturity and the headspace to actually appreciate a course like that. Mm-hmm. But it's so out there when you're 17, 18. Because you just, you're not there, right? And, like, I grew up in Asia as well. I grew up in Malaysia. Yeah. And so people don't do things for the sake of doing them. You do them to get somewhere. You do it because you think it'll lead mm-hmm. to success and money. Mm-hmm. And even though I was trying to break away from those cultural, like, norms, 
there was still things where I was like, this is a waste of my time. Why am I doing it? It's the same reason I never played sports. All of these things. Because I was like, it's not going to get me rich. Like, what am I doing here? Yeah. No, I, I think it's like you want to be most efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes I see that in myself even now when in like the relationships I choose to have because I'm yeah. like I'm not going to spend time doing small talk with someone I genuinely have no desire to know or be friends with because it's a waste of my time and I do think I come across quite abrasive to a lot of people um, and I've also made my peace with that at this point I don't uh, think so I, I actually appreciate it and I think the I think the older you get you appreciate that because let's not waste each other's time. And I think maybe you think it's abrasive, but I think I've never seen you done it abrasively to anyone, or even if you've done, it's done very politely. Like you quietly step out of the conversation. You're like, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Have a wonderful day. Ah, well, I'm, I'm glad. I sometimes worry that I have a reputation for being like super bitchy or something. Um, and I'm worried I'm going to find out about it one day. It's really interesting, though, because I have, like, I was really hardcore and intense in high school. Mm-hmm. And there were so many things I missed out on that I see now and I didn't see then. Mm-hmm. And when I meet people now who I maybe, like, only peripherally knew back then or we reconnect now, they're like, wow, you're so different than you were in high school. And I was like, you can say it. I was a bitch. Like, just say it. I know. I was. I really had no time for anything unless you were going to help me get ahead. I didn't care. You were uh, bodozing. You were like, I'm going, 100%. getting to my goal. Yeah, and Move my goal at out. the time was like, I need to do well in the IB because I need to get a scholarship because I have to leave this hellhole. I have to yeah. leave. Um, and it was like, I see it now and I'm like, oh, it was survival and that was the only way I could do it yeah. with the resources I had. Yeah. Um, and I'm not like ashamed of it. I just oh. I find it really amusing. Um, and I think listening to you share like you had to find another path. Yeah, made me just think of that. Um, so, how do you find like any of those traits are still here with you now? Given that you still work in the same, mm-hmm. what shall we call it? Industry. I don't want to call it an industry. industry. Same place. Oh. I don't. Know. Okay. I don't know. Um, I do. I think because of that experience. I think anything else after it has been so much easier because I, I think kind of like you, when you resort to that mode of survival and and you've experienced that, you're like, you know how much you can handle, how resilient you are. And so now I think back, if I ever go through a hard situation, well, I may like rant and bitch about it, but I know it's never as worse as what I was in those kind of like two, three years where I realized like, like I could not like, yeah. So I feel like from that, I got, I became more resilient and also just being more aware and attuned more early on what my passions are. Cause I think some of us were not con- like, we're not confident in ourselves. So we're like, you know, Oh, maybe it's just this weird feeling, this gut feeling, but in reality, it's us telling like, Hey, this is actually not the right fit for you. And we dismiss it. Whereas because I've experienced that and I know that feeling that I'm like, no, I can't dismiss this feeling. It means something. Um, That's incredible. I, Can I just ask, have you ever yeah. gone to therapy before? No, I haven't. Because I'm going that's, in- oh, that's sorry. something my therapist and I do all the time now. She's like, no, what is that feeling? Listen to your body. And I just, I can't believe that. Like I'm learning it now at almost 30 years old. That's incredible I- that you just said that. You already have this skill. That's that's amazing. So I haven't been therapy, but I want to. And that's something that's a goal of mine that I need to go therapy. And I, I started off. Okay. So if you're talking about like how I tune in with this, it, it comes back to my crystals. Okay. Crystals really being in tune with that feeling. Um, like I sit with my feelings a lot. And I sometimes marinate in them. Sometimes I like play with them. Sometimes I ignore them, but like really just being aware with it. And I think my crystals have helped me. And I want for my next step is to see a therapist to really uncover that and see what my blind spots are. But yeah, that's how I knew about it. My crystals helped me. Can you tell me more? I don't know anything about crystals. Ah, Oh my God. Crystals. I am the crystal ladies. Like uh, I love crystal ladies. No crystal lady. I love crystals. Um, I stumbled across them 
I don't even know how I did. It was like someone gave me a stone. And then I just loved it so much. Not only was it pretty. And then I read into them and about their properties and their healing properties. And here's the funny side about me is my degrees in science. So there's a certain point where you're like, uh, this doesn't really work. Like, so like some crystals would be like, will help you, uh, like, uh, it will help with your addiction. You know, like I'm like mm, holding a stone. So it does, is, is, it, is a crystal marketed to a specific thing when you purchase it? Yeah, it's like a healing property. Different stones have different healing properties. Some help them with um, anxiety. Some help them help help you with um, anger. Some are about loving yourself, self-care. Amethyst is actually one of the most popular ones, the purple stone crystal that you see. And it actually started off in the um, back then in, in Greece history, or I don't know how to say it, but in, in Greece, in Greek history, where it helped people with addiction. And so it's an overall like stone positivity, all this stuff. And I looked into it and I loved it. But like scientifically, you're like, uh, a stone can't actually like change your cells like that. But I think for me, it's like whatever works for you, because I believe the mind is very powerful. And if you believe in something, and I also believe in the law of attraction and manifestation, it will help like help you. And I think for me, depending how I'm feeling right now, I have a couple of them on my desk, I hold them and I think about what I want to resolve or what is that feeling and it helps me lean into it. Um, and I just love them. They're also quite beautiful. I always, when I was little, I used to collect rocks. So I think it just comes full circle for that. And yeah, I tell people like, why people, I mean, I'm not comparing religion to be same as crystals, but like for some people, for them holding a cross or a rosary is very comforting or a certain part, or like if you have a blankie, you know, from your childhood, there's something comforting that. And I think crystals can somewhat mimic the same way. Were you raised with any particular religion? Yes. Uh, Buddhism. Okay. Okay. Um, but then it was, you know how like Buddhism has a lot of sectors, different mm. like branches. Um, so we we were part of that. We were part of one sector. And then my dad felt it was too culty and said, we're not doing this anymore. And then, okay. so ever since I have, have not, I don't have a, I don't want to say I'm an atheist because I do believe in something, um, but I'm not super duper religious other than mm -hmm. my crystals. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, that's I've, I know nothing about crystals. The whole thing <sighs> seems a bit hokey to me. But I also no one has ever explained it to me the way you just did. And yeah. I, I can to each their own, right? We all yes. have the things that get us through what we need to get through. And they don't all work for us the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and so if this is what helps you and, mm -hmm. you know, you're an incredibly aware, grounded person. So you're, it's not like you're you you believe in weird shit, you know that like is like the earth is flat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to dismiss any waves ways of thinking. That's not my point. But it's just yeah. there are some that sound more out there than others. Where you're yeah. like, are you sure? Like you can feel vibrations of the earth, and it's mm -hmm. telling you it's going to rain. Like, yeah, okay. Um, so that's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And so you've been in this work space, this yeah. industry, whatever we decide mm -hmm. to call it, for a long time then. Mm -hmm. And you discovered it when you were not even out of school. Yeah. And what are your, like, now that you've been in it for a while, what's mm -hmm. your, like, in, when you think about it, does it bring you joy? What is your initial reaction? Um, or does it bring you frustration? What does it bring no, you? No, 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 it doesn't bring me frustration. I think... For me, it was almost that like that lifeboat, like not a not a like not a big nice, like it was like a lifeboat that I needed to go on. And was it the best one? Was it the shiniest one? Was it the most like perfect one? No, but it was a lifeboat that I needed to get off of the island that I was on. So I'm very thankful for it. Um, I think about my my years, eight years at UBC. Um, I think, you know, it has been, it has been great. It has been fun, but I also know that I've learned a lot and I know, um, you know, we talking about 
when you had reached out to me about paying my dues, I, I think very much about that. Um, the things that I had to feel like I had, I think back at all the times where I had to jump through extra hoops to get to a certain point that was very frustrating. Um, but then also from that, all the experiences that I wouldn't trade up for. Um, but in the moment, it just felt very frustrating. Um, I also am very, one thing that I am grateful about our workplace is it still needs room for improvement for inclusivity, inclusivity and diversity. But I feel like compared to other industries or workplaces I've heard from my friends is not as toxic. I think as like a place of encouraging thinking and education, it is definitely a place where like, I think that is embraced. Whereas if I think if I worked in like a finance or a bank, we would not be talking about this. We would not be as people would not be as open about it. Um, so I'm happy for that. And that like, I did li live in a bubble for a little bit because of you, of our workplace, UBC. Um, yeah, it's like a mix of emotions. I, I, I happy, happy thoughts and kind of like hard thoughts too, like mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a lot of sense because currently this year I've been in a very different headspace than I was when I started um, working where I work, right? Like I've yeah. been working in this place since 2015. So it's been a long yeah. time and I've, you know, aged as well. Yeah. And I think about how back then, like, I did it because I saw that everyone who worked there was mostly people of color. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were women and I felt very good at my job. Mm -hmm. But I think as you get older and as you get more settled in life and work, you realize that maybe there are other things you want mm -hmm. besides being good at a job. Yeah. You know, because I think people like you and me, like we're pretty competent people where we are good at our job. We get, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we get what we get in terms of mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. But then at some point, and the reason I reached out to you to see if you wanted to talk about this was because I feel like we're both still really young in the grand mm -hmm. scheme of things, right? Mm -hmm. And we started working straight out of school. I also started working in my third year of school. Mm -hmm. So I got into that momentum of working and building that part of myself. Mm -hmm. And it was only, I remember this so vividly. When I was in my fourth year, I actually graduated in three years. Wow. Um, yeah, that's what I meant by I was uh, super intense back then. Wow. Yeah, so when I say third year and fourth year, it's kind of hard for me to visualize because it kind of all squished together a little bit. Okay. So in my final year, which was my mm -hmm. third year, but also my fourth year, um, mm -hmm. I remember being about to graduate. And at the time, I thought it was going to leave Vancouver, go home for a bit, apply for grad school, take some time off. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen. But um, I remember looking at job postings yeah. at UBC. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I, I actually cringe a bit when I think about the jobs I tried to apply to and applied to and never heard back and was like kind of confused as to why. Mm -hmm. Because everyone tells you, oh, the things they say under qualifications, like, doesn't really matter. People list their, like, perfect world, mm -hmm. but that never happens. Yeah. Apply for everything. Yeah. You know, and I was applying for jobs that, to be honest, I think even now I wouldn't get. But mm -hmm. it's interesting because at the time, having not very much experience and being young and maybe also very naive. Yeah. And because people were not as honest. I don't know why the people around me were being like, oh, yeah, you should apply for it. Mm -hmm. So now when I have those conversations with people who are younger than me, mm -hmm. I'm like, you should apply, but you should also be very prepared not to hear back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's like, when I was doing that, like you, I was applying for things. I'm like, oh, I have no experiences for. But back then you were naive and you weren't jaded. And you're like, you're like shooting for the stars. You know, the sky's the limit, right? People tell you that. And I think people who tell you that don't have the heart to tell you to crash your dreams. So I think there's part of that part of it. And then also, like, who knows? Maybe you can. And I think even to this day, sometimes the hiring process depending on each unit does depend on what they're really looking for. And sometimes it can get really confusing. And I think with any job that you're applying for, like they have some, they have a criteria they post on their website, but then there's also like another criteria that they're also thinking on the back of their mind. And it's like, you're, it's sometimes like shooting like darts in the dark. And, um, but I think that's very 
kind and generous of you to like tell people to be transparent. Like you don't want to crush your dreams because maybe they will be able to get it, but you also want to manage their expectations. Yeah. Like I'm part of this. Well, I went to, I got a scholarship from UBC mm-hmm. and so I'm part of that community, even though I'm, yeah. I'm an alum now. And so um, at one point the, the, the people, the advisors of that uh, community were asking alumni to meet with current students for like, mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, I'm going to call it an informational interview. It wasn't yeah. quite that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for a walk maybe two or three years ago with someone who I think was maybe in their second or third year of school. And so I was a few years out of school. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I've probably been burnt out since I was about 16 years old and I'm only mm-hmm. just realizing it now. And yeah. so I was already pretty tired then. And I went on a walk with her and she, I think she's like in a land and food systems program or mm-hmm. a forestry program so yeah you know very gung-ho very this like very out there very keen to make a difference and I didn't study those things so for me it's like well I would never have been able to go I wasn't thinking about those things at your age because I was doing a bachelor of arts yeah and I studied English and ancient history like it's very different than Mm -hmm. what you are doing which is the current world in current times with current issues yeah. So I understand why you're so passionate about these things because it mm-hmm. does feel like we're at a time of change and you can be a part of that change and impact it. Yes. But, you know, the reasons I made the decisions I made was because that was not my environment at no. all. No. And I was not thinking and having those conversations. And at the end of the day, for me, my goal was I want to not have to work till I'm 60 years old. I'm tired. Yeah. I just want to make the right financial decisions so that I don't have to work until I'm 60 because I'm already, I'm 25 and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, And she was just horrified. Like the look on her face as I was talking to her and she was like, but what are your goals? And I was, I remember I said, my goal is to retire at 55 (laughs) with no debt. And she just looked at me like she was horrified disgusted you are a dream killer you crushed her cute little bubbly dream I was very honest with her I was like I didn't study what you studied you you see a very different world than I do and so your goals are different which is fine it makes sense that your goals are different and I'm not saying you will not achieve your goals I'm just telling you that with the path and the information I had at the time and even how I feel about it now I believe in climate change I will do whatever I can do for my part to make that better. But for me, it's not to go be doing what you're doing. Yeah. I still have my own goals, which is I don't want to work till I'm 60. You know, I want to live a different part of my life, which now that a few years since that conversation, I'm now trying to integrate the two a bit more. So I'm not putting off my like passions Mm -hmm. until I'm 60 Mm -hmm. because who knows maybe I'll be dead at 60 right like we really don't know no so I'm trying I'm I'm changing the way I look at life and work and the day-to-day you know Mm -hmm. grind but um when you were talking about what you said earlier I was just like oh my god I have to tell you about this ridiculous conversation where I felt like you have to be honest with people we don't all get to live out our dreams that is not the world we live in Mm -mm. and Mm -mm. we all need to Everyone has a function, right? If I didn't do my work, sure, someone, like 100 other people could do what I do. Yeah. But the point is the work is still there and needs to be done by someone. Yeah. So there's no shame if you're the person who's doing that work. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think like, you know, people say like, if you love what you're doing, then you don't have to work a day in, in your life. And that is a very beautiful ideology, idea, beautiful, love it, wish it happens, but it's not. And I think... Um, you're, you were just telling them the honest truth. Like, you know, I'm sure that that person's passion was climate change, but not everyone can be Greta Thunberg, right? Not everyone can do that. Like there's a certain part of you that will have to be like an office job. Oh, wow. We sound so negative, but we're not negative. We're just being being realistic, you know, about the situation. And I think you and I, recognizes early on in our life that not everyone gets to do that like you you were just working your ass off when you were in high school because you knew you need to get out whatever you needed to get out I knew that I was in the wrong air like academic discipline and you need to get out and we didn't have the because I know some of my friends 
graduated a couple years later than me, they had the luxury to, you know, redo their degree again. I mean, part of the pressure I put on myself was I funded my studies. My parents didn't fund me. I paid for it all. I couldn't afford to do another year. I couldn't afford to switch majors and spend another two or three years. Like that wasn't an option because my parents didn't fund my studies. So I, I think there is like, for you and I, there was this like focus that like, because you're so focused on working because you're like, I need to take care of myself. And that's why you're like, okay, I got to work, work, work. And for me, I was like, no one's going to fund my study. So I'm not, I can't change it. And I think, yeah, it's a bit of like, we all do the best we can with the information yeah. and resources and knowledge we have at the time. Yeah. And when you're, tw- you know more when you're 30 than when you're 20. That is just oh. a fact of life. Yeah. As much as no one at 20 will wants to admit it. And I know I didn't. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm older, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, you don't know squat when you're that young. Like, you just, you can't because you haven't no. lived long enough yet. No, no. You know, and, like, for all intents and purposes, I led a, I led a very, very privileged life. You know, other like, you know, the major, first major thing that ever happened to me, I guess, was, like, I moved alone at 19 to the other yeah. side of the world. But it's also quite a common experience. A lot of people do that. It's not a yeah. hardship. It's a choice, you know? Yeah. And so... Like, of course, people mature differently depending on their experiences. But for me, like, at 2021, like, Mm. I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And even the fact that, like, we put that pressure on an 18-year-old to pick a discipline is kind – it's very wild to me. Even though we work where we work, I still think it's – what do you know at 18 years old? No, How you can don't. We make you pick something and make you stick with it, punish you when you fail. Yeah. It's a very, very strange system. And, you know, Colin and I would like to have children one day. And I already am questioning now, like, what, how we would raise them mm-hmm. to, to be successful in this world and what success mm-hmm. even means, right? Because mm-hmm. I was raised to, like, neither of my parents went to post-sec. Mm. Um, my sister did. Mm-hmm. But for them, like, you know, my dad got his job at 17 and retired from it last year Mm -hmm. after 40 something years you know Mm -hmm. like I think the fact that I change jobs every few years freaks them out a lot but it's just a different world and like in terms of paying dues Mm -hmm. the reason I've been thinking about this is because I'm very fortunate enough to be a little bit further along in my career and Mm -hmm. have a pretty successful career Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, I'm at the point now where we're mentoring someone who's, you know, newer mm-hmm. in the career and stuff like that. And I've been having conversations with people who are younger or just like not as far along in their career and people who are like my directors and things like that. Yeah. And I feel caught in the middle a lot of the time mm-hmm. in mentoring because I want to be honest and because I'm on the journey I'm on, which is I'm like, I'm now realizing how unhappy I am and I'm trying to make changes. I'm also mm-hmm. trying to pass that on to the next group to be like, Money and success is not everything. Make sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to do X, Y, Z because it seems like that's the right thing because you will pay for it later. Yeah. So, but then when I talk to the, the people who are, you know, maybe in their 40s and have been in this industry a lot longer, their perspective on that younger person is so different. And sometimes I have such strange exchanges with them. <laughs> and it made me wonder how they see me, right? Yeah. Um, because they're closer to my parents' generation. They're not as old Mm -hmm. as my parents, but Mm -hmm. the concept of like, well, you're young, you need to pay your dues. And I'm like, okay, firstly, what, like, I I understand in an abstract manner what paying my dues is, but what is it really? Yeah. And when am I done? Yeah. Nobody tells you, nobody teaches you. Yeah. How long do you grind? Like... And then, like, who made up these dues? Like, how much is this due? What is the, like, rules to it? There is no rules. There's no rule book about it. You know, like, you're never actually, like, cut clean from it. And that's why I sometimes think of it as extra hoops to jump through. For me, that's what I view it. You know, paying my dues, like, extra hoops that I have to jump through that has been put there. Because I think as the world evolves... This paying you do is a very archaic mentality. You know, it it kind of reminds me of like froshing. Is that what you say? Is that frosh? 
flashing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it kind of reminds me you have to do something to get in, but is it even related to it? Because I think what they should be saying is like, oh, you want to gain more skills, assets, or experience in that area that allows you to get to that step. But no one really says that. Everyone's just like, yeah, sometimes you just, you know, it is what it is. Yes. And, you know, that it is what it is. And I'm like, is it though? Like, no, none of you are putting an actual, like, actually, you need, you're missing this part of it. You need a little bit more skill set. You need a little more experience, a little bit more exercise in that activity, whatever it may be. So I think it's just hoops. And they also don't know because they jump through the same hoops and they're like, well, I guess it's part of the system now. Like, everyone needs to jump through this weird hoop that makes no sense. And that actually doesn't contribute any way or make, or makes you more advantageous than the next person. Um, and, but I think it's just naturally, as humans, when we go through something hard, it's naturally for us to kind of get a little jealous if someone got there quicker and easier than we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can't help but be jealous. It's a natural emotion and thought. And I think that's why I find when I have people saying it is what it is, I'm like, mm, yeah, it's probably because you went through the same thing and you couldn't find a solution. You don't know what to tell me. And not that they're, they're, they're sabotaging me. I don't think that people are doing that, but like there's just a mixture of a lot, a, a lot of these things. And, you know, I wish that I could tell people like coming after me that you don't have to pay your dues, but the way that we are in our system, there's no way you cannot pay your dues. Yeah. It's so I, I completely relate to what you said, like in terms of jealousy, I 100% when I find someone who is my age or younger than me, and maybe, you know, has been in school or not worked as long as I have getting mm-hmm. a similar job or something like that, it irks me. Yeah, it, piss, it pisses me off because I'm like, how did you get here so quickly? I've been here for ages. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, In Canada, we talk a lot about um, truth and reconciliation. Yeah. And there are, we are, you know, as a country, as a nation, I think there's a lot of effort to try and rectify systemic Mm -hmm. biases and Mm -hmm. racism. And Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying that the Aboriginal First Nations community don't deserve that extra. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the politically correct term is. The support, Mm -hmm. the backing, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. prioritization. Yeah. But it is also very hard for me as someone who immigrated here alone, trying to build a path. I find myself caught in the web of colonization being a settler, even though I didn't know that that was what I was doing by coming here at 19. Mm -hmm. And then you're still, it is hard for me on bad days to be like, well, why did they get prioritized? And I don't just because Mm -hmm. I understand it from a, in a, when I'm on a, in a good rational headspace, I'm like, of course it makes yeah. sense. But when I think about it, like on paper, I'm like, if we are hundred percent the same on paper, it's just that this person is from that background and I'm a settler because I mm-hmm. moved here at 19, which, you know, I was recruited to come here. So mm-hmm. that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel really shitty. And, and like, I think like your feelings are so valid and your emotions because it's just when you see that and you feel the in, the injustice, you there's a part of you that just kind of you can't but help but think irrational, you know, not in the most rational time because your emotions get the best of you. And I think that's one thing that a lot of times in our workspaces, we don't really acknowledge that we are all like expected to think rationally at all times like it's not like we're not robots we're human beings with our ebbs and flows and I think I too also I talking about like an experience I remember so when I graduated from UBCO there was a position that I wanted and I had worked with this place for quite a bit and I applied multiple times and I couldn't get in and someone else who just applied once who didn't even really have much experience with the with the office got into that position and I just felt like what the heck like I have the experience you know and I quote-unquote paid my dues like why didn't I get it and it was like later on found it was for another reason and I just think to myself like 
I was so angry at that point, and I was so, and that's part of the reason why I applied to Vancouver. I thought to myself, you know what, it is what it is, and but also not it is what it is. I just, you know, I'm going to go back. I don't regret that because I think everything happens for a reason. I'm not trying to put a silver lining on this, but like for me to really digest it, I'm happy that I went through that experience because it taught me like you can't your input doesn't actually equal output because I think that's what you and I can sometimes think like if I just work hard enough my output should be there yep (laughs) but it's not input does not equal output whatsoever which is not something I think we're taught as kids or Mm. when you're growing no one Mm -hmm. you're always at least for me anyway I'll speak for myself and my like Asian upbringing which is that Mm. You put in your effort and you trust that that will reap the appropriate benefits. And if you, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Yeah, And that is what's so frustrating living in a Western society when that is not at all how things play out. And mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't get the correct rules to this game. <laughs> no. And I'm trying so hard with the tools <laughs> and the rules I know, but it doesn't work. And it's, it's a bit of a mind fuck, you know, because oh. I'm like, but... I'm doing my best and somehow it never seems to be good enough. Yeah. And I'm, I, it feels like I'm going to lose no matter what, because yeah. I just didn't, wasn't raised with the skills for this game. And maybe I shouldn't have come here at all. No, I, I, so the part where you like the self sabotaging and the self like, like deprivating like thoughts, my parents also growing up in Asian household, it's like, you work hard enough, and if it didn't come out, if the result's not what you wanted, it's your problem. It's never about, like, the circumstance, the situation. It's like, you didn't try hard enough, you did something wrong, you made a mistake. And I think the Asian culture, from a lot of us, is that is, like, a huge part of our bringing. And that is why I think we work so hard, because we are grilled at a young age that if you work hard enough, you will get your output. But in the Western society... Mm, that is not the case at all yeah it's just so many other factors to be honest I don't even fully know that I understand those other factors yet I just know that there's more than what I thought there was um and I mean I don't want to talk too much about race because that was not the point of this call no but like it does seem to me that like even my white partner, who's not mm-hmm. Canadian and is a newcomer, seems to cruise through things so much yeah. easier than I can. That I'm like, I don't know how much of it is race and how much of it is just like the conditioning yeah. to a certain culture that I don't have. Yeah. Oh, I also have the same thing with you because I'm like, I don't want to pull the race card out. But then part of me also feels like these are microaggressions that we experience on a daily basis. And we second, like, I think we, you know, doubt ourselves we like you you can't help but think because you're like well what was the difference Mm -hmm. and also like where I grew up like we were constantly compared to our peers all the time Mm -hmm. and so it's just like in my wiring to automatically do that here which is incredibly unhealthy (laughs) but I can't it's really hard to reset your brain that's how you judge your own success is by comparing it to other people yeah, at the same age or the same level that I'm like, oh my God, I am losing my mind. This is crushing me. Oh. Um, which is, you know, it's pretty, I don't think there's too many people in our age group at the place we are at in our career. So I feel mm-hmm. like I did succeed in that regard, but then having to confront the like, oh, I'm actually not happy though. So, okay, so the question about not happy, because I also have gone through the pandemic, you're sitting by yourself more often, you know, you're in quarantine. I feel like, is it, are we not happy? Or is it the Asian upbringing that we have is that we are never truly satisfied? That's a great question. Is it? Are we, so that was one thing that I came one day when I was sitting with my crystals, as my lovely little crystals. I thought, is it really, am I unhappy? Or am I truly not satisfied? Because we're taught and we're ingrained in a very young age, I'm sure by your parents and my parents too, that they're constantly like, look at so-and-so's kid. No, do better. You can do better. Like, do better, do better, do better. And so it's almost like if we look back from a couple of years now, we got this job that we wanted. Yeah, yay. But we're not satisfied. We're like, we reached this 
point that we worked so hard and now we moved on to next point. And so I'm yep. trying to figure out whether it's unhappiness or I'm just not relishing in the moment that I should, that I worked so hard to get to this point. Because that's we are- great. Yeah, it's, um, I, <laughs> I, I, when I was talking to my therapist about like a goal or a milestone I reached um, as a teenager, mm-hmm. she asked me, she was like, did you get to celebrate it? And I was like, no, of course not. <laughs> I just moved on to the next thing. Um, and I, I, I think that's a great point that you just reminded me of because I don't think I celebrate. I'm very happy to celebrate other people's milestones. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone like achieves anything or even if it's something as small as like a birthday, I am yeah. there for it. Yeah. But somehow when it comes to myself, I'm like, no, this is not worth celebrating. Like this is mm-hmm. just another check another thing to check off the list Mm -hmm. um yeah it's uh it's so it's yeah I'm curious to talk to you more as you journey through Mm -hmm. what those answers might be for you Um, because yeah maybe we just need to relish it more maybe that's the answer yeah I, I I don't know and like part of me is like also being realistic, like nothing is ever perfect, right? You, you, you can't ever be in perfect happiness or bliss. I don't think that is then it's not healthy and it's not a good balance. But I sometimes think to myself, it's almost like people like, oh, when you're in like such a good moment in a happy place in your life, like something's going to be bad around the corner. Yep. We do that. And I think we self-sabotage ourselves and we don't relish it. And that's one thing that I realized in this pandemic that, I like was able to think about it because obviously I think the pandemic has slowed everyone down. You know, you're not going on to the next thing you're at home more. And I, that's one thing that I really reflected on and I journaled on and I meditated on um, because I have been in my role for six years now. And I do think like, is this my forever role? Is this the place I want to work until I die. I would say when I first started, I was like, I love UBC, that doughy eye new. You're like, UBC is beautiful. It's great. It's the place I'm going to die at. You know, and now that I've been here, I'm like, mm, I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to build my like grave here. Maybe somewhere yeah. else. So yeah. I think figuring that out is like, oh, girl, it's a journey. That's what that is. It really is. And I think I'm very much on that same path as you, where I'm like, oh, I think for you, like, because you, for me, everything was driven by immigration, mm-hmm. right? That influenced every single decision I made. Yeah. And so I suddenly look back and I'm like, I don't think I've actually made any decisions for myself. Mm-hmm. It, I just made the decision that was the right decision at the time for where I needed to go next. Mm-hmm. But I'm at the point now where I'm like, all oh, that is behind me. I actually am at a point point in life where I can make a decision not out of necessity yes but because I can make a decision I have agency and it's a very daunting thought yes I okay so like talking about that agency that's 100% because before you had this goal this like goal that was built out survival instincts necessity and now that you have you're like I have the luxury like what Mm -hmm. and now you like can someone guide me? Like, can someone push me? And sometimes I feel like someone just tell me what to do. Like, what is my yep. next? Like, but you can't, you can't. And that's so hard. Oh. But I think this is the point of life. No one talks about, right? Yeah. Because I guess people feel some shame around it maybe, or it's, it's a scary thought. Like that's how I feel about it right now today mm-hmm. where I'm like, Oh, I can make these decisions, but what if it's the wrong one? And then I'm trying to reframe like, what oh, is wrong? Is it wrong? So what if it doesn't work? But it's so much work and effort on top of having to function in your day to day life mm-hmm. of like, I still have to be a hundred percent present in my job. Well, really this is all I can think about. Yeah. You know, and we both like work in positions where we have to support other people to also function in their day to day. So I'm like, I have to be on my A game because Mm -hmm. otherwise I'm not doing the job I paid to do because I'm so preoccupied with all these thoughts of like, do I want to be here? What am I doing here? Is this, is I going to be here in a year? It's, it's exhausting. And I wish people talked about it more and were honest with the people who come after us that this is a normal stage of reckoning that we mm. have to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people 
choose maybe not to face it because it is very difficult mm-hmm. when you have to sit with so much of the unknown and the uncertainty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to risk that you may make what it what is quote unquote the wrong choice. Yeah. And then deal with whatever that might be. Yeah. So yeah, like I think in because we interact with prospective students so much, like I can't help it when I talk to them sometimes that I'm like, you're asking the wrong question. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Like it's the wrong. And, but here's the thing. We never gave them the tools for them to think critically, to ask the right questions. Cause I was just thinking about it. The minute that we start going to school, okay, you're going to graduate from grade one. You're going to graduate from middle uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, after high school, you're going to go to university. And after university, you find a job. Like all those goals are preset. There's a template of check marks. Oh, and and then if you're a girl from a certain society, the next, oh, you get married, you have a baby, you Mm. dedicate your life to your family. You know? Yeah, it's a template that we are pushed. And so I feel like the privilege that you and I have now is that we're like, actually, no, what is my checklist that I want? Or what, what is the path? And it can be daunting because you've been following this template for so long for all of your life. And like you talk about the rewiring of your brain, it's hard because you're like, I had this, like, this template that I had to follow. Um, and then people be like, like you said, people after us, like telling them that this is normal and that you, you do have the right and should have the flexibility on what you want to do. Yeah, you know, and, and it's okay to change and like, like, changing our careers isn't a bad thing. And I would say 30 is a new 20, especially like how long we're living. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like, I personally don't feel any stress about like turning 30. Like, no, I, I don't think about it in that way. I for me, it's like, well, I feel very old. I feel <laughs> like I'm 50. So I, the number is, doesn't really matter to me. And I think, but I'm just thinking back to like when I was younger a few years mm-hmm. ago and at a different place in my career and that need to like satisfy other people and to always like, I went through this phase where I never felt like I could say no mm-hmm. to anything career wise because I so badly wanted to be taken seriously. And I think to be fair, I already kind of was being taken seriously, but I didn't see it. Mm. And so I would never say no. And I would, honestly, I would come home and I would be in tears all night because I was so tired. Mm -hmm. But then I also felt like, but I have to stay on this train. I can't get off now. And I had built this reputation of someone who's, you know, capable, Mm -hmm. reliable, Mm -hmm. you know, willing to take things on that I also think now as I'm starting to pull back and trying to assert my like ability to say no, Mm-hmm. Pe- the same people because I've been around them for so long are finding it difficult to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and to to kind of interact with this newer version of myself where I'm trying to be like no actually I'm that's not for me and like I disagree with this yeah and I think you're also I think I'm at the point in my unit where I have sometimes the opportunity to be like I think that's a mistake mm-hmm. and it's not always well received because Mm -hmm. I'm so much younger than the people who make those decisions. Yeah. And I think that's also part of where my unhappiness is stemming from, because for me, it's like, it seems wrong. Mm -hmm. These attitudes were perpetuating. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it can lead to a disservice. But I don't feel like maybe this is the right space for me to be explaining that. And if, Mm -hmm. That's how, that's where my journey is, but this is not the space for me to express it. Then maybe this is not the space for me anymore. Yeah. And I think, so like, yeah, I think we all have that and especially females too. Right. And also talking about, you know, being people of color, I think more than ever. And I think we're both in our stage in life and the stages in our life, recognizing to use our voices and I think before when we were younger, if someone neglected or dismissed our thought, we would we would have just like, oh, well, maybe it was a dumb idea. Oh, 100%. But now, but now we're more confident, right? Because I think we have gone through our experiences. We've gained, you know, new skills. And so when we do bring something up and someone dismisses it, it, it doesn't sit the same way. And you're like, and that's because you're not the same person as you before. And 
people always, I feel like people still maybe remember the like fun, bubbly, crazy cherry that got hired six years ago. But no, I, I have evolved. I'm still like, obviously, part of that essence is still who I am. But we all evolve. And it's weird that they typecast you into that. And then on top of that, with our upbringing and also being females, I think it took us longer to get to more confident than where we are. And we had to fight for this confidence, you know, not yeah. like within ourselves. And so when it does get dismissed, it's even a hit, bigger hit than I yeah. think that other people hundred percent. And like, I don't even see it as confidence when I talk about myself. I see it as I'm so frustrated and the mm. system doesn't serve me and I don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of it if it's going mm-hmm. to continue being a disservice to someone else. Yeah. You know, and maybe mm-hmm. it is confidence and I just choose not to recognize it in that way. But it's, I just want to do better for the people who come after us. I, it would kill me in 10 years if there were people who are, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, in the same space we were in, women of yeah. color. And I'm like, I really did want to make it better for you for when yeah. you got here. Um, I think that would be truly crushing to me if nothing I, changed. I don't think... I don't think- you would have to worry much, much about it. But I just think it's the thing, the change, that's the hardest part. Because it is snail. It is like snail pace. And I think that sometimes it's hard in the moment. You're like, why is nothing changing? But I think it will change. And I feel like this year, 2020, we've changed so much. And people are having their moments of awakening and reckoning. And and I see it in my office that, but especially women that I connect with, more than ever, it's like, we found empowerment on speaking up and I think we just need to keep banding together and empowering each other to, you know, slowly change this really old humongous system that needs to be, that needs to retire. Yeah. You know, like this complex, like work culture policies, processes that all are very, they're just old, girl. You, you need to move on. Yeah, yeah. You know, like seriously. Yeah. So, how do you feel? Like, if you could say something to your eighteen-year-old self right now mm-hmm. about this journey you've been on and that you're still on, mm-hmm. what would you say? Oh, that is a good question. I've so I've tried writing letters to myself. That's part Aww. of like my journeying stuff, and I could never really because like. I guess why I'm having hard, why this question always stumps me and I've asked myself this is like, I don't, I wouldn't change any of my experiences. So I wouldn't want to tell 18 old Cherry to look out for this, to think better because I think I needed to go through those emotions to get to where I am today. So I don't want her to less worry less because I feel like in worrying less, in worrying so much, it taught me to be more resilient or to be more aware of it. Um, I guess maybe like just simply like, it will all pan out. Everything, everything will pan out. It's not like not end of the world. I really thought things were going to end like as dramatic as I am still now today. I back then I thought the world was going to end like deeply in my heart. Like I was like, if this doesn't go out, the world will end. Like I cannot move on. Um, and maybe just telling her everything will pan out. But I have I live with no regrets and all those little scrapes and scars and bumps on the road. I am forever thankful for them because I think it made me tougher um or else I'll still be doughy died <laughs> how about okay. you for um I interestingly I would say something different to myself I would tell her not to worry because mm. I'm like a big overthinker um oh. I am that person who um if I wake up in the middle of the night I will instantly just go back to whatever I was thinking of like, I don't ever sleep fully. I feel awake a lot of the time. It's, it's very, very exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I think I've been experiencing this since I was about 14. So it's been a very long time. And I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. so tired. Like, that's where I am these days. Um, and so I would tell her, she, I, know, I can see that she's doing her best. And... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm even if it doesn't always work out the way she wants it to work out, 
it's not always a reflection on the amount of effort she's putting in. Like what you said uh, earlier about input yeah. versus output. Yeah. I, I wish someone had told me that because I think I would have refocused my priorities um, a lot earlier in life mm-hmm. had it been so clear to me. And I think it also ties back, like I was raised Catholic. Mm. And, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and my parents, you know, my family is incredibly devout. I am like the black sheep of the family. <laughs> um, and for us, anytime anything good would happen. So if you did anything bad, it'll be exactly the way you said earlier. You know, you didn't work hard enough. But when yeah. anything good happened, it was always like, well, it's because God had blessed you. Oh, you know, and oh. so it always felt like there was no room for me because when a bad thing happened, it was my fault. But when a good thing happened, it had nothing to do with me. And my effort, it was God's doing and God's blessing. And, you know, God wanted it to be. But when it was a negative thing, it wasn't that, oh, God didn't want me to pass the (laughs) chemistry test. It was like, you didn't study hard enough. So I grew up in this very weird, like, state of mind. And it actually led me to hide a lot of things from my family because it never felt safe for me either way. Um. And I mean, it's, it's having its uh, repercussions now in the way like where we have quite a fractured relationship. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would I would tell her that I see how hard she's working. And, yeah. you know, sometimes things really aren't in your control and it's not your fault. Thank you for being here today and tuning into this episode of Corner of the Universe. I hope you are well. And you can find me on Instagram at Connor of the Universe Pod.